Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from BannersOnTheParkway.com. I'm joined, uh, as always, uh, folks, it's finally happened. This man is now 40 years old. He's officially over the hill. Uh, I'm assuming, I can only see him from the shoulders up, I'm assuming he got jorts on, Brad. Um, you're, you're, you're fully bald, uh, but that's been the case since you were like 20. Um, how many pairs of Skechers do you own at this point? Uh, no Skechers. I don't have any New Balance. Um, what about everybody white? else? Can't see, but you can tell I'm surrounded by about 40 pair of shoes, uh, but none of them are Skechers. None of them are New Balance. Um, I've managed to resist the urge to pull my socks halfway up my calves or talk about how good my lawn looks. <laughs> gotcha. Um all right. We are also uh, joined by Joel this week. Now, Joel, um, obviously we cover college athletics um, on this podcast and on kind of a, a somber note. You wanted to talk about how the the world is down a few college athletes today. Um, so because of the, the tragedy at University of Virginia. That's right. Um, so Sunday night, uh, some UVA students were on their way back to the campus. Um, on a bus from a class field trip and uh, a young man named Christopher Darnell Jones Jr. shot either from the bus into the occupants or into the bus, uh, killing three, wounding two more. He was taken into custody at about 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, The three young men who passed away, Devin Chandler, Lavelle Davis Jr. and Deshaun Perry, uh, all UVA students, all members of the football team, um, shot and killed for no reason. Uh, these are three guys. Obviously, I didn't know them personally, um, but we're never going to know where these guys could have ended up or what they'd have done uh, because their their contribution to the world has been ended prematurely. This was, um, according to CNN, at least the 68th shooting that has unfolded on school grounds in the U.S. this year. Uh, including 15 on college campuses. So that's like one and a half a week, every week, all year. Um, It was, uh, according to the FBI's definition of a mass shooting as a shooting in which at least four people, not including the shooter, are hit. Uh, This was almost the 600th mass shooting in the U.S. this year. Uh, If you look at the Pew Research Center's stats, 80% 80% of U.S. murders are done by firearms, the vast bulk of those by handguns. And um, I'm not going to belabor the point because it's a real mood killer. But uh, my line of work uh, occasions me to be uh, on or around the scenes of horrific acts of gun violence. And uh, basically comes down to just the comical amount of firearms that are in circulation in the U.S. Uh, this will continue to happen. Um, until we cut down on that, there is no amount of other things that we can do that will remedy the problem other than getting guns off the street. Um, there are more firearms in circulation in the U.S. than there are human beings. Uh, it's too easy to access one legally or illegally. Uh, all it takes is one slip up from an otherwise law-abiding gun owner to have his car stolen or her purse stolen or to leave it out somewhere where somebody can get their hands on and then uh, a gun is in the possession of somebody with nefarious intentions. 
Uh, we see it too often. We're almost numb to it, but uh, the people who are impacted um, will never become numb to it. They'll never get over this. They'll just have to learn to live with it. And that will be the story for families from now uh, until the heat death of the universe, unless we decide to uh, stop letting our generations pass through the fire of the Molech that is the Second Amendment. We have amended the Constitution for the, for the public good in the past, and uh, we need to do it again, or we can continue to watch this happen. All right. So obviously, um, you know, as with um, many across the country, um, we're, we're um, heartbroken by by what's going on at, at UVA, not because these guys were college athletes, but because they were people. Um, and I wanted to make sure we, we clarified that. It's not sad because they played football. It's sad because, you know, they were human beings. Um, but uh, anyway, on to, uh, on to maybe lighter news. Uh, Xavier was in action this past week. The, the season tipped off, and um, Xavier uh, picked up a, a pair of victories to open the season, open uh, Sean Miller era part two. Um, it was Xavier 96, Morgan State 73 on opening night. Uh, so, Brad, we'll, we'll just kick to you. Uh, this was one where Xavier – Looked like they took a little while to get through the gears. Uh, did we learn anything from this one, or or what stood out uh, about this game? I don't I don't think we really learned anything about it about the team or where we think they might be or anything like that because you never really do in these early games. Other than that, we learned, you know, everybody is healthy or getting there. Um, Sule Boom really really looked good, and I guess the one thing that stands out is that Xavier shot the ball from behind the arc and sometimes it went in um that was a a fun twist also apparently sean miller makes the guy practice free throws when they're tired um so i I know a lot of coaches up in the stands have been pleading for that and uh coach miller has a twitter account i'm sure a lot of the people who tagged him he was just scrolling through his mentions at night uh taking good notes like he should obviously uh, and saw practice free throws when tired. Uh, that's a thing that has happened. X shot 75% in that first game. Mostly, though, I mean, it happened on my birthday. It happened at 7.30 at night. It's dark. It's getting cold up here. I think it's getting cold where you guys live, too. Man, it was so nice to have college basketball back. It was exciting. Uh, you know, the game wasn't great. Xavier didn't look great to start it. Um eventually got things going and then put on a fantastic run. But my gosh, is it nice to have it back? I didn't realize, I don't think how much I had missed it until I sat down to start watching it with a cup of coffee and a slice of cake that will undoubtedly send me to a slightly earlier grave than I was destined for before I ate it. But, um, you know, the Astros won the World Series. Baseball's over. It's about to start snowing. But then you turn on a college basketball game and for like 40 minutes, that takes 120 minutes. Everything's good. I, I have a theory as to why uh, it felt so great to, to have Xavier back. And it's something I've experienced in previous years, but not this year. It's because your soccer team sucks. And so Xavier is like this <laughs> beacon of uh, maybe one of my teams can be good. So their, their season starts back up. And obviously, hope springs eternal um, in college basketball. But uh, that's, you know, 
something you're experiencing for the first time this year. I had a quick question. I uh, So we turned the ball over a lot, and I wrote in my recap that we yeeted it all over the court because I was trying to sound cool. Uh, can you guys clarify for me, is that a is that a correct usage of yeeting? My 12-year-old son says it all the time, but he acts like he's concussed even when he isn't concussed. So I like if we yeet it into the stands, did, I, I don't know. Like I typed that and then I thought, I am feeling real 40-ish here. Yo, I think is the tense you were looking for. We yoded it. Yoded it. Okay. No, not yoded. Just yoked. 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 Ye- are yeeting have yoked. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I bet the youths will be really really think I'm cool when I say yote near them again soon. Oh yeah. No, no doubt. The three of us with an aggregate age pushing 120 on this podcast are really connected with that 12 to 18 demographic right now. I mean, once you send them down though, and, and explain, you know, how to conjugate a verb, I think they will think you're cool because what's cooler than correct grammar? <laughs> Everything, but uh, <laughs> we're moving on. Uh, so then in uh in action on friday night xavier um hosted montana it was xavier 86 montana 64 uh montana um according to ken palm is a slight step up uh in terms of opposition joel i mean did did this did we learn anything from this one or is it more of the same that it's just nice to see xavier back um so i'm gonna kind of amplify what Brad said about what you can learn from these early games, except that, I mean, you can't learn anything good. You can learn bad things. Um, like, <clears throat> it's real easy to discover that your team sucks in these buy games. Uh, but fortunately, we haven't had to discover that. Montana was a little different than Morgan State. Uh, the team looked a little rusty uh, in the Morgan State game until they locked in for that big 31-5 to run. Um, against Montana, there really wasn't any occasion like that. Uh, there's a span in the the first half where I think we went eight or nine possessions without giving up a point. Uh, and then there was a, the span in the second half, of course, where we went like seven and a half minutes, only giving up two. So the defense uh, had slightly, uh, slightly better, slightly more consistent performance. And I think that's something they'll need to continue to work on. But uh, that second and a half, they basically they gave up 12 points in 15 minutes until garbage time. So uh, Morgan State, they looked uh, excited and rusty and got some first game genders out. Against Montana, I think they looked uh, professional and every bit like a high major team just laying a perfunctory beat down on a, on a guest that they brought in just for that. I think one thing we probably can take away from both of these games is that coach Steele does not think the team is very deep um who coach Steele that's why he left that's why he left goodness sake goodness sake the brain worms uh coach Miller doesn't think the team is very deep um you know Cesar Edwards really looked good near the end of last year um there was a lot of hope for him he has basically been on the court um just to show his face um, Elijah Tucker played in one of the first two games and Deontay Miles has managed to 14 points or 14 minutes between the two of them. So I think there is probably some concern in the front court that 
uh, Coach Miller really only trusts Fremantle, Nunji, and Jerome Hunter there. Um, and even Jerome Hunter didn't play a lot against Montana, in large part because of his just inability to stop slapping people who aren't wearing the same jersey he is. Um, I think that's that's probably the – I know we're going to talk about point guard play, but I think that's probably the second most important takeaway from these games is that the team may not be very deep up front. Yeah, Jerome <laughs> – Jerome really put himself in the trick bag a little bit. I I did enjoy, if you watch the post-game press conferences, I think it was after Montana, uh, Coach Miller gave a real backhanded shout-out to Coach Steele, said uh, a lot of this team's uh, early success is a credit to Coach Steele because he left a pretty stocked cupboard and had just a lot of talented guys already on the roster. And at first I was like, oh, that's nice. He's giving a little credit to his predecessor. And I was like, but he's basically saying all the talent was here. This guy just couldn't win with it the way I do. So take from that what you will. But uh, I think we're all hoping that Miller takes Steele's roster and makes it perform to its potential. And uh, it seems like Miller kind of has the same take on it. Jerome Hunter is averaging uh, 12 fouls per 40 minutes right now. Yes. So he would foul out after how many minutes? Joel. I was going to say, you can't send that to Brad. <laughs> no, he'd fall, he'd fall out after about 15 minutes. Okay. You know what? Heck of a 15 minutes, though. Um, yeah, so obviously um, we'll, we'll kind of dive a little further in there, but uh, zooming out a little bit in college basketball general news, there's not been uh, a whole ton of marquee matchups. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Gonzaga and Michigan State, I guess, was a, a pretty good matchup. But um, as we're recording this, tomorrow is the the Champions Classic, which will serve up maybe some some more um, high-ranking matchups against one another. But um, the Big East is undefeated, except for Villanova. Um, is Villanova the new DePaul? No. Um, Villanova lost at Temple. I don't know if you guys saw the end of this game, but it was a tie game at 64, and uh, Villanova committed a foul with one second left to send Temple to the line to uh, win it with a pair of free throws and then turned the ball over and committed another foul to ice the game with another pair of free throws. Uh, so that was a 68-64 loss. Other than that, the Big East is perfect. Uh, not everybody has played two games, though. <clears throat> Looking at you, Butler. Um, so, and then um, if you if you bake out kind of the or if take out all of the the preseason uh, suppositions, which you can do on on Bart Torvik's T rank, uh, UConn is really the only um, top tier Big East team he likes so far. They're sitting at twenty fifth. Uh, Xavier is at forty fifth. Creighton is at 53rd and Villanova is at 63rd. So out of those teams that you figured would be duking it out at the top of the conference, um, none of them have gotten off to a flying start, although UConn uh, has been the most impressive by by quite a distance on uh, old Bart's rankings. Um, so we'll get into some Xavier-related questions here. Um, and the first one... Um, Obviously, the first two games, Kiki Tandy has started. Uh, Adam Kunkel had a foot injury that um, limited him in the first game. Uh, so, Joel, has Kiki done enough through two games to keep a starting spot with Kunkel back to 100%? Obviously, 
we saw it last year with with Miles and Hunter starting uh, as the the front court for uh, a large part of the non-conference schedule uh, with some of these bye games doesn't necessarily matter who you start that much. Um, but with Indiana coming up, do you expect Kiki Tandy to be able to retain his starting spot with some higher profile games coming up? I think he will. And for a couple of reasons, um, coach Miller has been very explicit in press conferences that Kiki has earned his starting role uh, with his effort and particularly his defensive effort in practice. And uh, obviously we don't get to watch practice. We just get to see the results of it on game day. But um, this team's got a bunch of guys who can score, maybe not all of them quite the way that Kiki has exhibited earlier, early on in the season. But um, defense is what I think is going to be the way forward. It's certainly what needs the most improvement at this point in time. And uh, Kiki has been really a lot better with that. Uh, one thing he has struggled with, I noticed a couple times in the Montana game, he kind of got lost between uh, helping on a driver and sticking with his man. And both the times that he did that, uh, Coach Miller brought him over to the bench for a little bit of one-on-one -on -one instruction. But he, uh, by and large, has taken a huge leap forward defensively. Um, of the guys who qualify on Ken Palm, he's second on the team in steal percentage. Uh, he's got a, one or two blocked shots which isn't necessarily what we're looking for out of him, but uh, just speaks to the the amount of effort that he's putting forth. And he's picking his spots well on offense and shooting 57% from behind the arc, which is, um, I think, pretty good. The other reason is that uh, Adam Kunkel provides a lot of versatility and a lot of energy off the bench. He's uh, He can work as a small three in, a, in an absolute emergency, but he can play the one or the two if uh, Kiki or Suli Boom gets in trouble. Uh, he's an, a spark plug, an absolute uh, just live wire out there on both ends. He really ups the level of energy in the game, and I think um, that's something that Coach Miller will like to use uh, just to um, change speeds a little bit. You know, uh, after the initial adrenaline of uh, the beginning of the game wears off and teams start settling in, uh, Kunk's the kind of guy who you can run out there and really just put a jolt into things. So um, I don't think that Keeking necessarily needs to be the best two guard on the team to continue starting. I think the combination of what he can do and uh, what Kunkel brings off the bench, um, as long as they're both performing kind of serviceably up to their potential, will be a... Uh, will be something that I think keeps, keeps Kiki into the starting lineup. It's Brad. super good. It's super good to see him there too, because I mean, <laughs> I don't know if Xavier's had a guy who has gone through it like Kiki has and stuck around. Like he just kept being there and it's good to see him finally get a chance to, to do something. Um, as much as I am an Adam Kunkel, a Kunkelite, uh, a Kunk enthusiast, whatever you want to call it, I also like him coming off the bench. Um, worth noting, Kunkel is the only rotation player who hasn't turned the ball over. Uh, Cam Kraft occupies the opposite uh, side of that, is the only rotation player who does not have an assist. Okay. Um. So what you're saying is that Cam Craft is probably not going to leave Frog Adam Kunkel in the rotate. I don't know 
why bring that up? Anyway, we're moving on. Um, <laughs> so one of the players who really stood out this week uh, is a guy that there were a lot of questions about um, preseason. Um, I feel like we'll probably talk to him. We'll talk about him a little, not talk to him. Surprise guest, guys. Uh, talk <laughs> a little bit later, um, when we talk about who the player of the week was, but Brad, is uh, this Zach Fremantle back to his old self, or is this Zach Fremantle uh, beating up on a couple of low majors who are not used to facing up against a guy who's six foot nine and can shoot jumpers? Um, I want to be optimistic here for once, and I think it, either you or Joel said in our season preview that Fremantle, um is at his best when he looks like he has something to prove. And he's playing like he is trying to convince Sean Miller that he is good enough to play. Um, I think we mentioned in that, that Sean Miller has the cachet to do whatever he wants. So if he wants to bench Zach Fremantle, you know, when Travis Steele did that, people are like, what's Travis Steele doing? If Sean Miller benches Zach Fremantle, people are going to be like, what is Zach Fremantle doing that got himself benched? Um, and I think Fremantle has recognized that as well. Um, I've been very vocal that I don't like the antics that he engages in sometimes. As much as I like a showman and guys who are all about the energy and everything, he just does. He's far more Draymond Green than he is Allen Iverson. Um, but thankfully, he has kept that all in check so far this year. And when he just plays basketball, as it turns out, he's a very good basketball player. Uh, he's got 32, 10, and 7 on 13 and 19 from the floor for the first two games. Um, he's played defense well. He looks, to me at least, a little bit leaner um, and able to move a little bit more, or at least inclined to move a little bit more. Uh, we'll find out against Indiana whether he can defend against a high-level team. But I've liked what I've seen out of Fremantle so far, and that has provided a really effective foil for Jack Nungy. Um Nungie had to just kind of go it alone a lot last year and try to make something work down in the paint, you know, with Deontay Miles, who was no offensive threat, or with Cesar Edwards, who could not um, get on the court much because of the way he played defense. Nungie just, it was Nungie in a cast of thousands down there. Um, having Fremantle in there that can really help him out takes a little bit of the playing load off of Nungie and also lets him be more effective because the other teams have to pay attention to somebody else down there. So I, I think he's back to his best. Um, I would love to see him back to that guy. He was his freshman and sophomore year playing with some swagger, um, but also kind of keeping it under control and only letting people know when he needed to let people know. I think, uh, especially his freshman year when he was playing alongside Tyreek Jones, you can really see that, uh, we're going to do a little armchair psychology here, so um, just skip this part in the edit. Uh, you can see that I think he's at his best um, when he can pretend to be a tough guy, and he's got like a real actual tough guy next to him. I don't think uh, Jason Carter, as much as I loved him, filled the actual tough guy role there. And I think uh, Jack Nungy proved um, basically from the shootout on Last year, uh, that maybe he's a little bit less of a choir boy than he looks like. Um, he did some flat-out mean stuff right up until scoring the final and most consequential bucket of the tournament to secure our nationally invited championship. And uh, Fremantle 
looks a lot more comfortable playing out of uh, Nunji's shadow, I think, than he did last year. And, you know, obviously Morgan State and Montana might not be the two toughest tests that, that he sees. And Fairfield might not tell us a whole lot either. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see when they go up against a really, really tough Indiana team, if uh, Jack Nunji can clear the way and uh, his little brother can mop up after him. If they continue that dynamic and the high-low that they've been working with, they're a, a dominant front court. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, one of the things that's probably a look that most that Morgan State and Montana are not going to get from most of their opponents are two guys six foot nine or taller that you have to guard on the perimeter, um, kind of pulling your defense all over the place. Um, and, and maybe I, I think we'll see with Indiana this coming week um, how well that plays against a team that's probably a little better suited to deal with that. Um, so it's positive, uh, you know, Tandy's done well, Fremantle's done well. Um, I think the one negative you could definitely take away from this week is um, the, the point guard play, especially in the Morgan State game. Xavier really had trouble with turnovers. Um, they, they ended up turning the ball over 20 times. I think 13 of those were in the first half. Um, and that is just not, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good against anyone. It's especially not good against a team that uh, you should be able to put away. So, uh, Joel, how much of a concern is the point guard play so far? It's been mostly Sule Boom and Desmond Claude up to this point. I mean, it's not not a concern. The uh, turnover rate was markedly improved against Montana and really even in the second half against Morgan State. Uh, than it was in the the first half of the season. Um, Morgan State is a team that keys on forcing turnovers, and I think kind of the perfect storm between that and it being Xavier's first game of the season and Des Claude's first game of his career, uh, same with Cam Craft, just turned it into turned it into a, a real poop show there for a minute. Uh, but they got it under control. Single digit turnovers against Montana. That was a 65 possession game. It was 81 possessions against Morgan State, um, not least because a lot of the possessions ended early because we hooked it to the wrong team. Uh, Yoed it. You know, Yoed it to the wrong team. If you will, which I will because I'm cool and relevant and definitely not 37. Um, the assist rates are falling both uh, as a team and as individuals because that's how math works. But I think this team is going to end up being okay. Uh, the one thing that I would like to uh, kind of key on here is that Des Claude and Cam Kraft had 31 points and combined, or I'm sorry, 31 minutes and combined for seven turnovers against Morgan State. And then they, uh, they combined for 34 minutes and zero turnovers against Montana. So that was a big step forward. I think those guys have both shown in different ways that they're talented and they've got contributions to make right away to this team. And uh, if they can chalk off that, uh, that mess against Morgan state as first game jitters, I'm hopeful that we'll uh, look back on this season uh, when we're more deeper through it and 
think that things have uh, calmed down a little bit in terms of guys we can put the ball in their hands and trust not to just chuck it in any random direction. Or we could just give the ball to Adam Kunkel, who never turns it over. Ever. Good Good plan. Um, okay, Great. so we're through two games. Xavier's 2-0. Obviously, uh, because of the way they make their schedule, most seasons Xavier's going to start 2-0. Um, I'm trying to go back and find the last time Xavier lost one of their first two games. It's just not happening, folks. Um, but what have we seen this year uh, out of these two games that maybe differentiate this team's style from the the teams that started 2-0 under Travis Steele and ended up um, not getting there in the end, Brad? Um, I, the first thing that jumps out to me is the three-point shooting. And not that sometimes the three-point shots go in now um don't get me wrong that is a fun a fun new development it's that xavier is not shooting three-pointers very much at all um i don't know how many times over the last several years we've been screaming for them to throw the ball inside and now they are throwing the ball inside xavier's ninth in the nation on assists to field goals made 334th in the nation on three-point attempts to field goal attempts. So they just aren't shooting the three very much at all. Um, they're going to have to, obviously, because the three-pointer is a huge part of the game now. But these two games, they took uh, 14 threes in both of them, uh, a very reasonable amount. Against, you know, they've been shooting them really well. Against Morgan State, they made five. Against Montana, they came out uh, red hot and ended up making eight. Uh, both of those were carried mostly by one guy. It was boom against Morgan State, Kiki Tandy um, against Montana. There were games last year. There were three games last year in which Xavier made uh, or took 14 threes. Um, it took two of them together to get to eight made threes. Um, that was Connecticut and Seton Hall, which were actually back-to-back games last year. Um, and then they had a game in which they made a, a nice five of 14. So that was somewhat better. Uh, that was against Vandy. But... Xavier shot the three a lot more and they shot it a lot worse last year. Um, I'd say it's encouraging that they leaned into their strengths this year. Um, even early in the year last year, when they were playing teams that they could have hammered by just throwing the ball inside, they still chucked up threes against Niagara. They took 27 against Kent state. They took 29. Uh, there's just no need really to do something like that. Um, and that's how you end up playing close games against Niagara and Kent state. But, you know, this year, dominating the inside, so let's throw the ball inside. And when that stops working, maybe we'll work on something else. But as long as you've got a couple guys knocking shots down from outside and Fremantle and Nungy are doing their thing in the paint, uh, Xavier looks a lot different, at least in that specific category. So in 2001-2002, uh, we were 1-1 one and one under Thad Matta. I don't know if that's the last time it's happened, but uh, <clears throat> it's the one I could pull up off the top of my freaking head. Um, yeah, not only did we shoot fewer threes, I just thought execution as a whole, um, aside from the turnover problem against Morgan State, uh, just looked a lot more crisp, uh, especially the foul line. One of the ways you uh, give away an early season game is by not converting at the foul line. I think I saw Providence with something like 26 of 42 in the game they almost lost. Uh, couple nights ago that I, I was going to set hashtag PCBB Twitter on fire with that. But 
um, just doing the things you need to do to, to thump teams you're way better than. I think we've excelled it this year. I will also say there was a time against Morgan State, uh, Adam Baum had tweeted that uh, it looked like Fremantle, Kunk, Boom, and Nunji were done for the night. Then the the five dudes who were on the floor fouled something up, and Coach Miller went with a line change, uh, and he put in a lineup that I think was uh, Boom, Kunk, Jones, Fremantle, and Nunji. They ran three possessions, got three stops, made three layups, and converted one and one. And I mean, in in less than a minute, it was a quick seven nil, and it looked like somebody had subbed in the varsity against the junior high, and just to have um, a, a group that you can put in that was so immediately and comprehensively dominant, and then they uh, they got subbed back out for the other guys to work on whatever they needed to work on. I just thought that was something that we haven't seen in a while. And it was pretty cool to just watch a coach flip the switch and uh, the team respond to remind Morgan State that they weren't going to win and it wasn't going to be close. The last time Xavier started a season one and one was 2007, 2008, when they lost to Miami of Ohio in the second oh. year. Oh. Hashtag Miller out is all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, um, so can't believe they didn't fire him at that point, obviously. Obviously, I guess getting to the Elite Eight might have like put a little bit of a polish on that, but terrible season, terrible coach. I could do better. Read my tweets. Um, anyway, uh, kidding. If Sean Miller's listening to this, which I, I think he is, um, I'm kidding, Sean. Uh, return my calls. Uh, now Please to uh, be more productive with your time. Now to our uh, our favorite segment. It's returning. Um, last last year it was a new segment. This year it's a returning favorite. Cue the theme music. Rock you like a hurricane by the Scorpions. Classic. It's Xavier Player of the Week. Uh, Brad, figure out a way to give this to Adam Kunkel. I mean. It wouldn't have been that hard to give it to Adam Kunkel, who leads the team in offensive rating. Um, no, I'm going to give it to Zach Fremantle, um, who actually leads the team in points scored, which is also a good thing to lead the team in, who's looked a lot more like himself, um, has been engaged on both ends of the floor, uh, is getting on the defensive glass well, if not the offensive, has moved the ball well. Um, is just in general playing the game a lot better than he has been or than he did last year. Um, I think it's hard to argue with what he's done so far. He's looked uh, composed within himself and also dominant. So uh, for this week, I'm going to give it to Zach Fremantle, and he earned special credit for not having attempted a three-pointer. Okay, Joel, do you concur? I do. I really wanted to find a way to give this to Kiki Tandy, and I think he deserves like an honorable mention, which isn't a thing for player of the week. No participation trophies here. If you ain't first, you're last. But um, the huge step forward he has taken um, under Sean Miller has been uh, commendable, to say the least. But yeah, Fremantle. Uh, since Brad took my thing of him shooting zero three-pointers that I was going to point out, I'm just also going to throw out there that he is at a career low 
for um, fouls committed per 40 minutes. Um, one of the hallmarks of lazy defense is not just points given up. It's that you have to foul your guy because you can't recover or you foul somebody else because you were at steps low in your rotation. Um, he's probably, that number is probably going to go up as we play tougher competition. But if he can keep that in a reasonable range and uh, continue performing at a high level with high intensity, then we are going to see the Zach Fremantle that we've been hoping for since that big freshman season. I, I would just like to clarify that we don't think Jerome Hunter is being lazy uh, on defense for all of his fouling. I think that we're all in agreement that he's just hyper-aggressive. Stop hitting people, Jerome. Yeah, if, if anything, that's an overabundance of effort. He's putting Jerome in that situation. Being too proactive. I'd also like to point out, I feel like I proved that hallmark of lazy de defense is not committing fouls. The hallmark of lazy defense that you're not committed to is committing fouls. <laughs> I went all the way and was like, no, yeah, I'm going to score. I'm not going to do anything. So I know what you expect. Uh, so never fouled out in my entire career. I don't know. Kind of a feather in my cap. Uh, my coach disagreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to differ. Uh, I am going to go with Colby Jones. Um, I do think Fremantle looked more like himself this week. I, Jones, uh, to me, played the most complete two games. Um, he, he had <clears throat> six rebounds against Morgan State, um, had three blocks and three steals against them, dished out nine assists, and then uh, against Montana, he uh, was able to uh, have five more assists. Um, he was in double figures both games. He was 15 of 18 from the line. I just feel like he was a very steadying force for Xavier in these first two games and uh, really looked excellent um, with everything except maybe his his jump shot um, wasn't quite falling for him. Um, there was also a stretch during the Morgan State game when Morgan State was kind of at their high watermark where Xavier actually had a six-minute span where people not named Colby Jones scored one point, and Colby Jones kind of kept Xavier's head above water there until they uh, got it back together and then put on that huge run toward the end of the first half to basically end that game as contest. So I just think he did uh, what Xavier needed him to do in most every situation. He turned the ball over a little more than probably he was hoping for, than I was hoping for, but um, he, he had a great week as far as assists um, and as far as getting himself to the line and converting from there. So uh, I went with him. Um, so our final, uh, final quick hit, um, obviously the world cup is coming up this week. Uh, it, it begins on Sunday. Um, you guys have seen some of the kickoff times, but, uh, there are games kicking off at 5. AM that I'm just going to watch the highlights. of. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't wake up at 5. AM for the birth of my child. I'm kidding. Um, I would, but like not willingly. Um, I'd be like, hey, man, <laughs> chill. Uh, anyway, Uber so uh, what? Your, what? I said she can Uber to the hospital. Right. If the kid's mine, he's not going to be doing anything before 11. So uh, <laughs> anyway. Mom, if you're uh, listening, this is not an announcement. <laughs> how do you know? Yeah, like mom's listening. Um, Brad, where where 
bold World Cup predictions. What um, are your three Lions going to do? Go on um, around the 15 on penalties. Parking break on. Anyway, go ahead. I, I don't really want to discuss them too much because my heart is too wrapped up in that for me to make an accurate prediction there. And I, I hope you guys can appreciate how that goes. It's the same reason I pick Xavier to win two games every time they get into the NCAA tournament. Um, one bold prediction is that the home nations come out of Group B, which means the USA does not. Um, I think I think the Welsh are significantly better um, than the U.S. team. I would really dearly love to see Qatar ship like 30 goals in three games. Um, I won't predict that, but I do think they're going to get hammered um, in Group A. You want to go super, super bold prediction um, or just really outside the box here. I think Belgium might struggle to get out of Group F. They are all on the wrong side of 30. And I say that as a guy well on the wrong side of 30 now. And they have teams in there that can give them some trouble. I think, I don't know how bold this is, um, but I think that Argentina has a chance here to send Lionel Messi out at the absolute peak. Bold prediction, if that happens, he immediately retires from football. He's just done, doesn't go back to PSG, chucks the deuces, and heads back to the home country to enjoy the rest of his life, which I would say he has well earned. Yeah, that, I would say he has well earned that. He's carried every team he's been in since forever. A lot of nodding there, which is really good podcast content. There's <laughs> a lot of nodding along. I, I thought, yeah. I thought Joel was just going to take this baton and run with it. But. Okay, I'll take this baton and run with it. Um, Brad said he's too close to the three Lions to make a prediction there because his uh, heart's too wrapped up in it for his head to interact. I can appreciate that. I'm going hard the other direction. Uh, but first, a less bold prediction. I think this, this World Cup will go down as a catastrophic failure for Qatar, not because of what their soccer team will do. Um, which is get blown out, but because the only reason they try to get a World Cup like this is to sports wash their regime, and instead it is put more attention onto what a horrible nation they are. So congrats on that blowing up in your face, Qatar. I hope Seth Blatter goes to prison for the rest of his life. Uh, my number one bold prediction, though, is golden ball for the uh, nation or the the cup's leading scorer is heretofore uncapped German striker Nicholas Fulkrug. He currently leads the Bundesliga in scoring, uh, leading the line for Werder Bremen. He helped them win promotion from two Bundesliga last year. Um, I don't know what kind of contract he's on, but apparently it's not one where you can afford to get your chipped tooth fixed. But this dude is the focal point that the German attack has needed ever since Miroslav Kloser retired. Bless up, Miro. Um, there's a lot of attacking talent around him, but no, no tip to that spear. I hope Germany has the sense to send him out there and tell him lean on the shoulder of the last man and let us feed you. Uh, the talent's there. Full crew's shown he's got an eye for goal. Uh, I just hope that he gets his opportunity and he shines when he does because uh, I'm a big Germany fan because of our mom who's not listening, uh, her German heritage. Uh, I picked Werder Bremen as my favorite team. They've gone down. They're back up thanks to, to Full Krug. And he is just going to put the cherry on top of an incredible last 18 months that he's had by banging in like five or six goals and leading the tournament and scoring. 
And I think I said golden ball. I think it's the golden boot that they get for that, but it makes no difference. The golden boot. If he wins the golden boot, he can get his undercarriage done in whatever brass, gold, however he wants to do it. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Bold predictions. Bold predictions. I think uh, I think Switzerland could could make a run at this. I think Switzerland could make a semifinal. Um, I'm not saying they will, but if they come second in their group, they would have to get by probably Uruguay and Spain. And those are not two teams that impress me terribly. Uruguay's all old, um, except for their guys who suck, who suck. Um, and Spain, I, I just, I don't think Spain's very good. Um, they don't have a striker. Well, they do have a striker. Salvaro Morata, he's terrible. Um, <laughs> so I think that this is going to be... Uh, a tournament in which having a informed striker is going to make a huge difference, just like every tournament. Um, like I, do, school group. I think uh, Argentina is going to win it. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if Brazil does not win their group because they have a tricky group. And I don't know that Brazil is coming into this in very good form. Um, and Serbia has a really good front line. They have two informed strikers with uh Blahovic, or however you say it, from Juventus, and uh, my boy, my boy Mitro. So uh, they could they could trip some people up. But uh, yeah, sorry, Bab. I don't think England's gonna go very far because uh, I don't think they're gonna attack anyone. Uh, so you know, the England USA game just has two uh, nil written all over it um, with like. I don't know, Connor Gallagher scoring in like the 84th minute uh, to, to seal the deal. And then everybody being like, whoa, uh, what a great game. Except it will have been painfully boring. Um, I honestly, I think that game's going to get a lot of hype. And I think it's going to be probably a terrible, terrible game to watch. Um, if I had to guess. So anyway, um, that is it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back with more more World Cup Weekly next week uh, as we uh, wake up at five in the morning to actually watch these games. Whose idea was this? Uh, putting so in the microphone where I live. Anyway, um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we will be back with you guys next week. Xavier is back in action this week. Uh, they take on Fairfield on Tuesday, and then on Friday in the Gavit Games, they will play hosts to Indiana. So we will be back to talk to you guys about those games and look ahead at Xavier's Thanksgiving event.